Hello and welcome to the second episode of Arash and Eli's Mega Ultracast. We had some pretty Glad good we response. decided on a name. Yeah, we finally did. It's it's kind of a good like groovy eighties eighties sort of name. I really want us to have some kind of box art though, with like the two of us holding like laser weapons and we're in blues and purples. I like, like that eighties Nintendo line art. That'd be really. Don't you awesome. guys have a full time artist there? We have two full time artists actually. Just do that like right now. I I should you could I literally should. text them and be like, do this. <laughs> I I think if I took my uh, my artists off the project, my my CTO would fly over here and kick my ass. But um, uh, well, whatever. Yeah, I could I could probably do that. Maybe I'll make them do it on the weekend or something. Oh. Well, feedback of the first money. episode seemed positive. I mean, people yeah, I, just like it, listening to it stuff. It sounded good. Apart from people losing their shit over it not being approved on iTunes yet, which has happened, <laughs> yeah. by the way. So yeah. we're we're, so, yeah. we're good and live. But um, if you're an iTunes podcast person. Yes, I am now. I'm officially iTunes branded. Uh, and they didn't they didn't knock us for having explicit language, even though I forgot to mention that it was explicit in the I don't uh, think anyone metadata. listens to that. I don't think anyone. But the it. thing is, like, once you go down the explicit path, you are always there. Oh, you I, can't like, pull out again. Oh, shit. Yeah, because like I um with the Touch Arcade podcast, I was kind of like, well, you know, like we're really not that explicit. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> I mean, like. I imagine explicit being like rap lyrics, right? Yeah. yeah but exactly. like our podcast is certainly not that. Like someone might say shit every once in a while. Or There's a little like bit that. of shit, a couple of fucks. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, if, like your that, kids are, if your kids are listening to this podcast, then you should just be proud of them. Yeah, and, seriously. Uh, they probably know all these words already. Um, yeah. So we're flagged as explicit and there's, there's nothing I can do to change that. Oh, okay. So that's good to know. But okay. actually bringing up kids, though, that, that brings up something interesting that um, I, I didn't really plan on bringing up, but you kind of reminded me of it. Did you see the story that we posted on Touch Arcade about how uh, children value iPads more than they do like actual dessert now? I didn't. So like if you offer a child, you can have dessert or you can play whatever on your iPad for, for half an hour, they'll, they'll choose the iPad. They choose the iPad. Yeah. There's, there's this video that, um, uh, like look up the, look up the story on touch arcade. It's got some re- very like link baity headline that was kind of intentional, Cool. but, um, the, uh, the survey company did this survey with all these like parents and children and stuff like that, talking about the importance of the iPad in their life and how to modern day kids like YouTube is TV. Okay. Like, like to the point that, uh, like one of the final interviews they do is with a parent who's like, like one of the, one of the ways that we punish our kid is taking away their iPad and making them watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) You have commercials now. Yeah. Can you, I, I mean, this, that was on a level of mind blowing that is just hard to even put into words. Well, and this, this doesn't surprise me because I mean, of, of my group of peers, hardly any of us watch network television anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, it's I just watch like Netflix it's, stuff. That's it's too it. annoying. I, when you, when you've gotten used to Netflix and on demand and no commercials, when you watch a show where it's like keeps getting interrupted and you've got to hear about Oscar Meyer hot dogs, like it's, it's, it's infuriating. And we, we'd gotten used to it as kids. And then you, you like fall out of that training and, and now it's, it's really hard to, hard to watch. Yeah. But I mean, the, the other part of it, like they, they then ask the kids that participate, like, could you, would you rather have the iPad or a cookie for dessert? And like the response is like, well, is it just one cookie? Stuff like that. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Because, yeah. Like, and it kind of, it kind of makes you realize just how dead, like most traditional forms of entertainment that you take for granted today are. Right. Because like, I, I mean, I feel like, like people now that that try to make a strong argument about like oh PC gaming is the future console gaming is you know going to be around forever and stuff like that are are looking at the world through this this very myopic viewpoint of their own personal experiences yeah uh, which you know is natural when you're arguing anything right but now there's an entire crop of children that are you know like 
I guess, you know, how young would you have to be to understand what an iPad is like three or four? Yeah, pretty young yeah. to like, you know, like preteen almost that right. have basically that grown up with this technology being like, this is how I consume content yeah. is watching YouTube well, on the iPad. And it doesn't, it doesn't just capture content. It's more like, I mean, communication with their friends, every aspect of their lives is, is something they've done through yeah. having phones and having constant access to the internet. Um, I mean, when we grew up, like I remember the, the coolest thing that, that I got was a, a watch that could store my friend's phone numbers on it. Yeah, because I before had a, that a I had data link. Yeah, I had, you had exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we had the same one, and <laughs> it was funny because prior to that, I had this little like square of paper, and I would write people's phone numbers down on it. And it was like, oh, you're my friend. I'm going to add you to this like square of paper so that I can call now you after you're in school. My watch. Yeah. So um, it's just it's crazy to think because like uh, stuff like that kind of makes you realize that like everything that you think you know about like where the future of gaming is going and like the future of entertainment and how to capitalize that on a business perspective is right. just probably just totally wrong. Yeah. Like on a complete fundamental level that you as a person probably will never fully understand because you didn't grow up that way. Mm-hmm, exactly. Which yeah, is every, every instinct you have is, is, is based on something that, that is no longer true for the, yeah. the growing generation. I mean, like, I'm sure you were the same way. Like when I grew up, it was like, you did everything you can to go like get slotted in for like some TV time to play Nintendo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like not getting that was the worst thing ever. Uh huh. So just to think that like you could grow up now as a kid where it's just like a total non-issue that you sit there on the couch on your iPad like all day. Yeah, it was that. No interruption. Exactly. Yeah, it was that. And then also internet time that was slotted in too. Like if your mom was on, like we always had one phone line. Like when my mom was on the phone, I couldn't be on the internet because, you know, I had to dial in through my modem. And there was this, this, uh, this scarcity of that. Uh, entertainment, which which drove its value, I guess, at least to me. I mean, it was like the games that I could play, I could only play for such limited amounts of time and during very specific times that it, uh, that, that, that doesn't exist with anything anymore. No. So here's, here's my question. And like, like knowing this as someone that is CEO of a game studio, like, how do you, how do you move forward knowing that, that like nothing that you do is scarce on any level? Right. And everything there's we have so much just, content that like nothing is really special anymore. It'll be accessed on demand. And well, one thing we do have uh, that's that's still pretty strong, I think, is is this idea of brand loyalty. I mean, looking back at Fallout 4, like that game, or rather I should say Fallout, Fallout Shelter, people are playing that game because they love Fallout. And people play games by, um, you know, different studios because they love the work that studio has done in the past. So there's there's still this strong sense of loyalty that we're getting um, where people are just like they like whatever Limbic puts out um, or they like whatever franchises come. I mean, you see even still like kickstarting older games is still really successful. Like when when studios like we're going to revive this franchise or when um, they did like Wasteland 2, like those types of things. Um, for for at least for our generation of gamers, um, still hold true, and I, I think still that that idea of brands and characters being um, a, a dear to gamers is, is is a strong strong asset that that we have. But but aside from that, yeah, I mean, absolutely, we're we're a, a totally replaceable resource in a in a span of, of infinite choice. Yeah, I mean, what's weird about the character thing though is that. I mean, like you and I are looking at things through the lens of, you know, like people that were born in the 80s right. or, you know, I guess you could probably look at it the same way if you're born in the 90s and, you know, later 90s even maybe. Yeah. But now it's like, I feel like if you're just some kid watching YouTube, like you have no allegiance to any character beyond like what you might see like in a Pixar movie right. or Disney right. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so true. Well, but but at the same time, people do subscribe to channels and they they like characters. I mean, like you like like, like PewDiePie and, and, and some of the other like Lonnie and, and other like, I mean, this is game specific, but there's channels for everything. Yeah. People do have allegiances to the to the people, like to the yeah. casters that they enjoy watching. 
It just makes me wonder if we're like barreling towards this bleak future where it's like if you want to make a game, it has to be a free to play game about like Disney characters <laughs> or something like that to get anyone to care. Well, and, and that's another question is how, how durable have traditional characters been? Uh, I mean, it, Disney's enjoyed this like many, many decade um, life of a lot of their characters. Uh, but but I think now there's the, the the rate at which characters are being generated uh, is is so high that that maybe that's being diluted as well. I mean potentially, but I mean when you look at when you go to Disney, you know it's all the classics. Like yeah. there'll always be Mickey Mouse and right. Donald Duck and, right. and all them. But I don't know. It, is, is Mickey it's, Mouse like is, is Mickey Mouse's popularity? Uh, I mean, there's some sort of curve of, of decreasing popularity over time. But but has it in recent years become even more unpopular? Um, as a result of, of this media influx of, of choice. It's tricky. I guess it depends if you look at Mickey Mouse as a symbol for Disney characters or Mickey Mouse as the character Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Because yeah. I would argue Mickey Mouse hasn't been relevant for decades. Good point. Yeah. Like the character. Yeah, absolutely. And there hasn't really been any Mickey Mouse content. There was Epic Mickey that was the what, Warren Spector game um, a while ago. I didn't play it, but people said it was interesting, like dark take on Mickey. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that franchise hasn't really been touched in a while. Yeah. Um, but but then again, I mean, look at things like uh, uh, like Frozen, right? So like the whole like Elsa figurines and dolls and dresses and all that stuff has been uh, a huge source of revenue for for IP it's surrounding true. movies. That's um, true. When when a kid could just as easily go and instead of watching like a a video from Frozen, watch any of the ten million other videos on YouTube, they still do gravitate toward the brands again. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just going to be an interesting, interesting time to look forward. And what's scary about it now is that I'm kind of feeling like, and I'm sure you kind of get this vibe sometimes too, where you are like looking down the barrel of the gun of this like new generation of kids that just consume everything differently. And you kind of feel yeah, like yeah. what uh, like print media people in the newspaper must have felt like looking at the internet. Right. Being absolutely. Like, I don't know, man, like this internet thing, who knows what's going to happen <laughs> with it? Like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Cause that's what we know. And that yeah, seems yeah. scary. Let's just do what we know. That's, that's been the, the famous last words of, of many, many, uh, a dying, dying industry. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I was reading an article about again about preferences of of the young folk. Um, it was it was interesting. It was a, it was a perspective on why uh, kids of the young generation, like teenagers now, they don't even care about cars. And this was a thing that like when I was growing up, like having a cool car was a really oh, big God, deal. Yeah. And like, what car do you drive? And like, oh, that's so fast. And like, just this See, whole idea big, of yeah, being like into a big cars. Driving point of my life, like like why I got a job. Yeah. And, and why and I like achieve things because I wanted an awesome you car. You wanted an awesome car. A car was like a huge sense of pride and personal identity and all this stuff. And and uh, I was having this conversation with my brother and my brother's friends and, and also read a couple articles about it where it's just like it's not a thing anymore. Like they don't they don't care at all about about That's cars. So wild. Aside from some very minor little like side fringe hobbies, hobbyists, I guess, enthusiasts, um, the general population doesn't care about cars. It's all about, you know, like experiences and, and what do you want to go and do and what's the next EDM show you're going to see. But it's like cars themselves um, have have totally lost that, which is which is a really sudden break from it being a thing since, you know, like the 40s. Right, right. Um, That's wild. What was what was your first like real car that you're proud of? <laughs> that I'm proud of? My first car like that worked was a Toyota Tercel from 1992. It had, oh, that, it had tires this, that were about this wide. There was wide as like a bike shift? tire. It was not stick shift. It was a really bad three speed automatic. Oh, man. Um, I wish it were stick shift. No, this was a fun car. I'd go up and down in the hills, and and uh, it had like really bad 
the engine was like 1.2 liter or something. It was, it just sounded like it was in pain all the time. <laughs> so I, I drove this up and down from the Bay area to San Diego multiple times a year. And every year it would develop a new annoying sound. Like the, uh, the windshield wipers would squeak when you went over 60 miles an hour or the, the, there was like these weird rattles that we never tracked down. Eventually the windshield cracked and I gave that away. And then I got nice. my dad's, uh, Toyota Corolla, which was a 93, which really wasn't much better, but it was a little bit faster. Um, and then for that period, I, what happened then? I, I got an infinity I 30 at some point, an old 98, 97. Well, so infinity. that was like your first, like, that was oh, like my first cool like car. cool car. Yeah. It was like leather yeah. interior and sort of boat like sedan, but it was comfortable. It was pretty, it wasn't like beat up and embarrassing. Um, and then I had that car until it got stolen. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then I didn't have a car for a while and then, and then I bought my Porsche. And nice. then I decided that that wasn't a practical car to drive every day, so I brought I bought a Honda to go alongside that. But <laughs> my yeah. first like my first car that I worked for was a Honda CRX, which is still like my favorite car. Yeah, CRX is awesome. I still regret getting rid of it uh, to this day. But like the car that the car that I worked for to like like that like gave me a uh, drive to have an actual career beyond like a boner job was my <laughs> uh, Integra Type R. Which was like oh, sweet. You had the Integra. The you, had a, you had a real one with the like I five really lug wheels. I really that car too. Oh man, yeah. everybody who's ever owned one of those got <laughs> got rid of it and regretted it. Well, it's because like they, they were like thief magnets. Yeah. So I don't know. What, what color was it? Uh, bright yellow. Dude, that's awesome. You got the perfect color. And it had the decal on the side and everything. Yeah. It was oh, amazing. That's fantastic. It was incredible. I don't know why I got rid of it, but whatever. <laughs> Did you buy it new? How did you end up with one? Weren't they like no? Really rare? I, I got it. I got it used. Really? And I actually turned a profit on it when I sold it, which yeah. is like unheard of in cars. Yeah, because That's awesome. like they just got more and more rare as more of them got stolen. Yep. And like I was big into following like Honda Tech and the other forums and uh-huh. stuff. And like uh, the big reason why I got rid of mine because it was like all of my friends had their cars stolen. And I was like, all right, well, am I going to deal with like a shitty insurance settlement when this thing inevitably gets stolen, <laughs> or? Am I going to just sell just, it? Just give up and sell it. Interesting. And I just sold it. Yeah. I, I just remember like the way you would tell if it were was real or not. Because a lot of people would just buy the, the decal and put right. it onto the, regu- oh, the regular Integra. Oh, there's so many Integra. ways you could tell if it was The real main one I remember was that like there were four lug nuts on the regular Integras and five yeah, on the five bars. On yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that takes me back to the days of reading like Sport Compact Car Magazine. And there was just like this whole like being a ricer was really cool. It was. In, and like I, I just school. I can't imagine where I would be in life right now if I didn't have the drive of like, I got to make more money. I got to yeah. get a better job. I need this new exhaust for my car. Yeah. Yeah. Because like without like, like, you know, I not to sound all like. I don't know, like materialistic and shit, but like that was such a big driving force. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't like, even a materialistic, like you want to own this thing to have it. It was like, this is your hobby and you want to like enjoy yeah. this car more. Um, so I don't know. I guess I don't, if you're, I don't see that directly as materialistic. Yeah. So how, where's your motivation if you're just like into EDM concerts and stuff? Well, so like, they're, they're expensive and going to them is expensive. So like if I talk to my brother and I'm like, yo, what's your motivation? So he, he, he enjoys going to these concerts, which costs a lot of money because you got to travel. Um, and get a hotel room and whatever. And then there's the, the whole side of, of, I guess in his case, cause he actually makes EDM too. Like it's like buying instruments and buying keyboards and, and, and getting software and things like that, that surround that hobby. But I find that a lot of the, the, the focus has shifted from like anybody who was into automotive stuff is now into, into more into music stuff and like dance stuff and party stuff. Like mm. the whole party scene has evolved beyond what I remember it being when we were, um, we were that age. That's so, so wild to me. I mean, like that, I mean, that kind of perfectly segues into what I want to talk about with free to play stuff though. I mean, cause like, um, 
I feel like you would look at free-to-play games so much different if you value the experience of playing the game over the permanence of keeping stuff in the game. Right. Because um, I've been kind of thinking a lot about this because on Touch Arcade, we get such a hard time proposing about free-to-play stuff. And like, I really don't have a problem with free-to-play. But it takes a certain type of free-to-play game. And this got super relevant today when the new Magic the Gathering game came out, Magic Duels, um, which is structured much like Hearthstone, except you don't have an account or anything like that. Okay. Your, your, your purchases are basically locked onto your device or Game Center account or something like that. Okay. And it was kind of shocking to me how much this conflicted with like my internal differences between like, oh, I love playing Magic and there's nothing I'd like more than to play Magic on my iPhone. And well, I don't want to buy things if I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be able to keep them. Right. Right. I mean, like Hearthstone, I have no problem spending just stupid money in Hearthstone and and like League of Legends and stuff like that, too, because the permanence of those purchases are always there. Like, even though it's done in a free to play manner and, you know, like like both games do all the free to play, like psychological tricks with sales and, you know, dangling carrots in front of your face and all that stuff. But like it works on me because I'm buying something I can keep. Right. Right. And that kind of goes back to the car thing, too, and that everything I bought that I worked for, it was like, oh, this is something that I now have in my driveway. Exists like and it is, is a thing I own. Right, right. And yeah, I just can't and, wrap my head well, around the experience thing. Yeah, I mean, going back to the experience thing is that you, you spend this money and then you come out of it with, with what, like memories of the, the cool like dance concert you went to and uh, that's it. You may have like a cool wristband and maybe you got a poster and a t-shirt, but that's it, right? All the, most of the money is spent not on acquiring a thing, but on, on memories. So then do you think that that, that person's tastes in free-to-play uh, way way more heavily towards, like, the consumable stuff? Maybe. Well, we did. I mean, the biggest consumable for us that I can compare this to was going to the movies. Like when we were That's true. When we were young, you'd go to the movies and you'd come out of the movie with nothing. Right. Having seen cool explosions and whatever. But um, uh, that, that was it. And so I guess for people who look at games as... I mean, sometimes what convinces me to, to spend on a game is I look at it and I say, wow, well, I've been playing this game for... Uh, 10 hours and I've really enjoyed it. I feel like if I spend uh, $4.99 here, um, I'm, I'm like compensating the developer for that time that they spend entertaining me. Um, and I, I don't look at it more of, of like a cool, I have this new character pack that I can keep forever. Although that, that definitely does. I mean, I, I think I have the same opinion as you in that like when I play um, uh, uh, Heroes of the Storm, the, the, the Blizzard game, I'm I'm really inclined to buy skins because I know I'll have that skin forever and I can like right. see it every, whenever I log in and be that character and um, it has that permanence that you're describing. Uh, but what's weird is like that that isn't what makes money on a, on a wide scale on the App Store. It's not. Skins are actually not the biggest money maker. Yeah, when you look across all free-to-play games, the, the, major, um, the major thing is it's still currency purchases. I don't know. So wild. I just, I, like, speed I, ups, that kind of thing. Yeah. This is what this is what like my shower thoughts are are these days. <laughs> it's not like anything interesting or anything like that. It's like trying to figure out what drives Why are the mobile market. Spending? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it, what everyone wants to know, right? Like that's the magic question is like how do you be successful in Right. In and it, well, it's interesting. Right so is this is this whole uh, to take this further is is the idea of of mobile being what it is right now where you get things for free and you pay for in-game purchases or speed ups or skins or all these different things. Um, will that hold true for for other markets? So, so we talked about AR and VR uh, last time. In an Oculus game, you know, is that necessarily going to be different, or do you think people will go back to uh, uh, upfront purchases? And will there be a like a premium phase for that industry as well before it it goes freemium? Or 
I think we're too far down the free path right now. I don't know that we can turn around and yeah, exactly. Like too many people have been trained to expect everything for free. Yeah. And maybe never even need to spend money ever Mm -hmm. and still have a decent gameplay experience. Well, actually now to pull back into the concerts example. So, so for that generation, everything they consume is free, right? So they listen to their music on Spotify or YouTube. Right. Um, by and large, they don't buy music on iTunes. They don't, they don't purchase anything digital, uh, short of the occasional free to play purchase, but, but they spend a lot of their money on, on these experiences. So, so it's, it's like, where is it all going? If you're used to free, why are, why are the experiences not free? Why are there no free concerts, um, on mass? I mean, there are a few here and there, but it's by and large, they're still really expensive. Um, and people are willing to pay for it. I mean, I think it's because you have real costs with a concert. Like, you couldn't realistically put on Coachella for free. Right. I mean, I guess you could do it with sponsors and yeah, you and could totally like do it that, for sponsors. But... You'd go back into like the the phase of the app store where everything was ad driven. Yeah, um, it, I, I think there's a way to do it with with free. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the what is the like user acquisition monetization loop there. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what's your what's your upsell? What's your in app purchase? You can go to like the main stage, but like if you want to see the really awesome side act, you've got to pay extra. No, or I, I, as far as like the Oculus like games are concerned, they're like I, I feel like they're going to be premium for a time being because like the hardcore gamer crew is going to get into them and they're used to, very much used to right buying dumb shit right like as you can see with the Star Citizen Kickstarter and things like that yeah but and, and man, by and large those are those are an older generation of gamers yeah yeah but like when the moms and the kids get on board like yep. it's got to be free yep. like it's it has to be like there's there's no <laughs> way that you can have someone now that is you know, 10 years old that grew up their entire life consuming content for free, playing games for free and stuff like that. And then being like, all right, well, um, here's 60 bucks to do something now. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever the price equivalent is in like 2020 or something like that. Right. It's just, I don't know. I cannot wait to see how that problem gets solved because you're going to eventually reach a tipping point where like you can't give stuff for free forever. Yeah. Give away stuff for free forever. Right. Like it doesn't work. Like it works in mobile because the cost of goods is so low. Yeah. Like the cost of goods is so low. The scale is so high. Mm -hmm. And like you can make something on, you know, 10 million people giving you an average of, you know, a few cents. Yeah, exactly. And stuff because the scale allows it. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what other thing you could apply that logic to that that same math would work. Yeah. It seems like that's really the only place where this model of user acquisition being so cheap. uh, And well, I guess. Where you can get the situation where you have you have a, a, a lifetime value per user that's lower than your user acquisition cost. I'm yeah. sorry, higher than your user acquisition cost. I mean, mass. how long do you how long do you see the problem of the free to play game, like the I guess the math equation of the free to play game being solvable? Assuming you have a good game, you know, yeah. soft launch as well. Right. How long do you see that equation being solved? Of like, we put X dollars in, we get Y dollars out. This is very simple. This is how it all works. Well, I mean, to answer that question, you have to look at what are the things that are, how is that changing over time? So, so the cost of user acquisition has gone up a little bit. I, I, I don't have latest data, but I think it's, it's somewhat stable now. Um, I don't think it's like getting more and more and more expensive. Um, that said, the, the issue, some of the larger companies like Supercell are facing and, uh, you know, you've seen like Game of War with Machine Zone. They're, they're, I think they're running out of places to buy ads. So it's it's not an issue for them as much of of like the the profit margin narrowing. It's more an issue of of them running out of ways to scale. Um, it's hard to keep the the themselves at the you know where they want to be in the free rankings and keeping their download numbers up, um, just because they're they're like running out of people that haven't been exposed to the message yet. That's kind of crazy to think about it, right? 
Like when you consider like the global market of smartphones, you know, devices out there, what in yeah. billions? Yeah. And like just to to be at a point in your business where it's like, we just need to find new people that haven't heard of this and it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, they'd be in, if, if the market stopped growing as in, if people stopped buying, uh, devices for the first time, uh, they would have a really big issue where they would, they would quickly, uh, saturate the population. I think, I think the only wow. reason they're able to actually continue with the, the user acquisition that they have is because you're getting new users in the market. Uh, it's, it's less an issue of them capturing more and more market share. Do you guys um, spend much time thinking about the emerging markets like India and stuff like that as more and more of those people have are starting to switch over to like cheapy Android phones from feature phones and stuff like that? Do you see that? I, I was I was kind of reading some articles about people speculating that that is going to be like the second renaissance of mobile. Yeah. Well, as you right. know, like developing countries like that, that have like millions and millions of people that are just ready to buy sure. like an old cheap iPhone or something like that. Yeah, there are there are some challenges in some of those countries where like a lot of the time they they're still using like carrier billing and stuff like that, where on Android, you know, that, that becomes kind of an issue where you've got to set up for it. Um, and there's there's extra costs associated with that. It makes it difficult. The other the other challenge that we've seen is uh, in a lot of these markets, they're not necessarily using Google Play and I, uh, the App Store. They're using, especially on Android devices, they're using alternative stores. Yeah. So, and this was huge in China. I mean, where China has like 50 different app stores and there's not really like a prevailing one uh, in the same way that you have Google Play here in the U.S. Um, and, and to a lesser extent, Amazon. But um yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly a market that we can look at. Localization is going to be an issue, but like in India, a lot of people speak English there, right? Um, so it's a pretty pretty ripe market for that. People talk a lot about Brazil being another big one for games, um, but that definitely requires like a Brazilian Portuguese translation. It's so crazy when you kind of look at these kind of um, I don't know, I guess like editorials or, or right. whatever, looking at all these different markets because they kind of seem like an analog to. Uh, like old world, new world exploration kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, where it's it does, like, right? Like seriously, like like if you read these, uh, but don't look at it through the lens of like, oh, they're talking about mobile games. It's like it's like reading like, oh, Brazil has so much gold. You know, we just got <laughs> to get over go to and Brazil. Mine their like, gold. like we got to yes. all talk about how we're gonna get to Brazil can, and what we're gonna do when we get there because it's just like so the much rivers fertile are land with for gold. our plantations. Yes, I mean, because like when you think about it, it's it's the same conversation. It's just a different medium. It right? is. Yeah, we Which need to go there. Really and, crazy. And it's a conquest of people, just in a different way. I don't know, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of these markets also they have just like local games that are that are more popular that are just like built by native teams that are that are, are quite successful. I mean, again, this goes back to China too. Like China is the same thing. Like a lot of the companies that are in China developing for Chinese people um, are going to be better equipped to serve that audience than than a Western company with a with a translated game. Yeah. Um, so so there's something to be said for, for native developers being, being successful in their own countries too, which is, which is cool for me because then I see a lot of entrepreneurship happening there, um, as, as their markets get big enough to sustain them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that like, when I went to the, the pocket gamer connecting in India, uh, that was kind of a, a big theme of all these people that were like becoming entrepreneurs with their own game studios and stuff like that, which seemed a lot in a lot of countries, like especially Finland, like Finland had this problem where like the the entrepreneurial spirit wasn't there. Yeah. Kind of. Right. And and not only that, but there was like cultural pressure of like, 
your family and stuff like that looking down on you. Absolutely. It's like, oh, you're not going to go work at a factory? Like, yeah, what's yeah, wrong yeah. with no, you? No, totally. And like, even my co-founder, uh, Fulker in Germany, um, he's had some of that kind of thing from his friends where it's like, wait, you have your own company? Like, how does that work? Like, do you guys make any money? <laughs> Why don't you go get a real job kind of thing? And in a lot of parts of Europe, yeah, there's that, there's just a whole cultural thing against being being a startup founder. And then that's and that's rapidly changing just with the whole kind of global way the, the startup culture yeah. is spread. But um, I definitely think like maybe five, 10 years ago, it was it was a crazy thing to have your own company in a way that, yeah. that wasn't true uh, in, in the US. Yeah. I mean, I went to I did a trip to Finland in 2011, I guess, like right when all this stuff was starting to explode. And it was like they were doing government outreach kind of stuff to yeah. get people to be like, it's OK to start your own company. Right. Like, it's fine. Like, we need something to replace Nokia, please. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone try and something. there's there's a lot of incentives some of the governments put toward toward small businesses, and it's just yeah. it's interesting too. So so you know people talk about coming to San Francisco and starting a mobile game company, like that's like the worst and most difficult thing you can possibly do. Yeah. Like the only thing that's good here is that there is talent that you can hire at, at arm's length. If you have the money for it. If you, you have, have the money for it, but too. it's like rent is super expensive, the cost of living is super high. Like the success you need to have to sustain yourself here is is significant. But um, going back to India, like if you're an Indian game developer, you don't really need that much money to live a, a decent life and support yourself doing doing mobile games right so so you know a lot of those things like you could probably make a good premium game and live off of it there yeah no totally i mean that that has happened like i talked to a couple different guys here that you know we're talking like oh yeah i made this game you know we made like twenty thousand dollars yeah which like here if if you had some like san francisco indie they would they would be framing that around like oh my god my game totally bombed it only made twenty yeah that's like five months to that yeah like like <laughs> over there that's like oh my god like I have two years to figure out what to do next yeah. this is amazing yeah exactly so, so so it's interesting that 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 uh those economic opportunities I guess you could call it are are going to be significant I think as we get more and more developers that are that are doing it on their own uh, in 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 non major Western nations. Yeah. I mean, that's that's another thing I'm excited to see is like what happens when like the whole world kind of eventually reaches that sort of level of playing field. Because like if you think the content problem is terrible now, yeah. when you basically have, you know, like European and North American content producers making games and, you know, music and media and other things like once the rest of the world gets there, like, holy cow. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm just excited as a gamer to see the the cultural influences of games that come out of places that aren't Japan and the United States and Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, Japanese games have a certain flavor that's intrinsically Japanese to them. And Chinese games also, like, they have a certain, there's something about it. Like, you can kind of just tell that this game was made in China. Um, and Western games are the same way. But, like, I'm curious, like, what is what is an Indian game like? Like, what is a game that's just very Indian? I don't know. I don't think that... I mean, honestly, the ones that I played that, that do well in North America just are good games. Yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of the thing is it seems like as stuff is going more global... Um, you know, particularly as it becomes important to launch your stuff across more platforms, like there isn't a uh, like regional game anymore. It mm-hmm. seems like yeah. it's just this is a good game that everyone likes because the concept is very basic and right. might not even have very much text in it, so everyone can figure out what it does and all yeah. that. So, which, so on on the note of concept is very basic and there's not a lot of text in it. I think we should go to our our, our game for the episode, right. <laughs> which is The Witcher Three. Um, very simple and not a lot of text in it. I don't think anything. No, could be. it's it's uh, maybe the simplest game I've played. It's, this it's year so, so simple. Far. I mean, I, it's like I, Flappy Bird. I often but... find myself saying, "Why aren't there more controls? Or why couldn't this dialogue <laughs> be longer?" 
Oh god! So have you played the previous Witcher games, or is this your first? This one? This is my first one, and I okay. I didn't know what I was getting into because I was like, "Well, crap! Am I gonna? Is this gonna be like playing Mass Effect three without having played the other games, or am, am I gonna be jumping into the middle of a, a story that I totally don't understand?" So far, See, that I, doesn't seem to be the case. But maybe oh, I don't, don't know. You what don't I'm get missing. that vibe at all? Not yet. No. See, I kind of feel like um, like there's a lot, and maybe I'm just trying to be more perceptive than anything, and this isn't actually the case, but like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't really understand. Oh, yeah, like, like, that that's true. <laughs> you know, the, the, and it kind of kills me because I imagine it being like, you know, if you just went and saw Return of the Jedi, yes. like it would be a good movie, like yeah. you would enjoy it, and you would walk out being like, wow, that was a really neat thing that I just saw. But you don't but, get the greater context of kind yeah, of like, like, you don't get the greater context story. of anything. Have you played Which, the other Witchers? No, you haven't either. So I don't know that they're 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 going to explain everything either. I don't get the feeling that it's it's like I I don't understand what's happening because I didn't play the other games. I feel like I've just been dropped into a world that's really complex and like I still don't have a grasp on it. Well, I I feel that way, but I I wonder if if you would feel like you had a better grasp if it was like, oh, well, this is what a witcher is, and like you know, this is what you can do as a witcher, and this is what a typical day of a witcher is like. That's true. Well, so being a super nerd, what I did do before playing the game is I read the manual, and it has like this lore section which explains like the history of witchers and and like their different swords. Well, it's based on actual books. Is it okay? Yeah, cool. Um, so. so let's talk about this for from the outside first. So I actually ended up getting this game because it came free with my video card. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they were like, you could get Witcher 3 for free. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, so so I I downloaded it and play it played it originally because like everybody was talking about it as being like this graphics showcase and um, being a pretty good game. But then as I played it more and also read a lot of articles, people were really impressed by um, the fact that it's it's a little bit more adult. Uh, yeah. and it's, and it's storytelling, um, more so like than they waste than, no time to getting onto like full butts. Yeah. In the and, and not and just, stuff. not just the nudity. I mean, some of the, yeah. the, the topic material, like there's this, this farmer you meet who like had to leave his home because he was homosexual. And like, there's lots of like cultural and social issues that it brings yeah. out. And, uh, so, uh, and like misogyny and like, there's just, it's, it's a really, it tackles a lot of issues that I haven't seen exposed too much in games, which is really, really like, I enjoy that. I think that's refreshing. So like when you play a game like that, you, you think that like when you come across like the homosexual farmer and, and all that's like all this heavy handed stuff, like you, you walk away from that being like, oh, cool. Like that's neat that they included that. It's, it's complicated for me. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, it's cool that they're exposing gamers to this idea and they've, they've, they've brought on like a, almost a political viewpoint into the game. Um, on the other hand, I, sometimes it feels like they tacked that in there because it's like cool to talk about that stuff and it makes the game seem more relevant. Yeah. Like it's See, just kind it's, of my it's, it's done in a kind of it. self-serving kind of way, which, which, which maybe bothers me a little bit in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, having I mean, included I, it versus not having included it though, I, I would rather it be in there. That's what always kind of gets me about stuff like that is it's always like, like if you have a really cool, tasteful story and like a really neat story arc and like, you know, it kind of plays in with like modern day issues and, and social problems and stuff like that. Like that's usually really cool. But I feel like a lot of these kind of side quests and side characters that come across seem like they're just thrown in so they can get that like check mark off. Check mark. Of like, maybe somebody will write an article about this. Yeah. Of. Which I don't know. Maybe that's just me as a jaded gamer looking at it. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I look at these games in a different light because of how exposed we are to like the way they're criticized, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I still have to give credit though to the, to the kid in in the Midwest who's playing this game and, and isn't super, you know, steeped in the, in the social issues that we are in in that same way where they're like reading every slate article and, and, you know, right. Right. They're, they're not as, as into this. And when they, when they're exposed to this thing of like, this person was a homosexual, he was thrown out of his village because of this. Wow. That seems really bad. He seems like a nice guy. Um, 
I, I still think a lot of gamers are, are we serve to, to, to make impressions on people. Yeah. And so, and I think that's a really good purpose of, of games like this, but I don't know. Like, and like personally, there's a part of me too that plays games like this as a form of escapism right. where it's like, Oh my God, I've read all this terrible shit on the internet today. Like people yeah. are just atrocious. And here I am playing like a game in my spare time. That's fun where it's like, I'm dealing with the same terrible things that shouldn't yeah. be happening to anyone. And right. Here they are in the time that you don't I've... get your escapism anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. Which... I, well, that's interesting. So some games that I, when I play, like I'm done with a play session, I come out of it n- not like victorious and happy and relaxed. I come out like depressed and yeah, like I've just I've got a second job. <laughs> as a I mean, Witcher. I feel like The Witcher Three is really bad about that kind of thing because a lot of the quests are v- like. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a deep fantasy universe and, you know, deals with serious issues. And like, obviously the game probably wouldn't have the same appeal if they didn't tackle serious problems and, you know, stuff like that. But man, it, I don't know. There's, there's a part of this game that I just, I'm like, man, I wish everyone was just happy for once. Like you come across a quest where it's like, Hey, everything's great. You mind getting us some shit? Like that would be cool. (laughs) I just want some As opposed to like, Oh, my daughter's dying. Can you brew this potion that she's not really supposed to have and like could kill her anyway? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's wonderful. All we need is a birthday cake. (laughs) Go to the baker with two eggs and flour. (laughs) I don't know. But I I guess what's what's refreshing about The Witcher, though, is that um, it it seems like the the level of depth in the game feels oddly optional. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. which I think is is a really cool piece of game design that I don't know if that was necessarily intentional or not. Because, like, I'm playing through it. Like, I I realize there's this whole alchemy system Mm -hmm. and, like, Mm -hmm all these different ways you can power up your dude and like uh, armor upgrading system and, and all this crazy crap that I'm just mostly disregarding and doing totally fine. Right. Exactly. Which is neat. Well, so there's there's a lot of, uh, this game has a lot of, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like there are these, you know, as, if you imagine like you're walking along a path as you play the game, there are these deep chasms of depth that you yes. sort of can choose to jump into or just continue walking down that path, like you're saying. So one of the big ones, and, and it keeps presenting them, is like there's like an in-game card system where you oh, can yeah. like you play this, this, this Quent game or Quent, Gwent or whatever. And it's insanely hard. I've never won a round. Oh, really? Uh, are you any good at this? Like, I just spend all my cards at the beginning, and then I'm like, well, I have one card left for the rest of the round. I mean, I'm okay at it, but, like, that that to me is, like, I played it, and I was like, oh, this is a rabbit hole I'm not getting into. It is, right? And you can, like, just... you can build your deck, and, like, when you get different merchants, you can buy new cards. Like, it's it's an entirely a, a game in itself. Yeah. Um, and then, like, this, like you said, the alchemy stuff. There's so many side quests. It's The game feels like you could... If you if you just like weren't gainfully employed and you could spend all day long on the couch, you you could play this for like a year, oh, every sure. day, and and for just sure. do a different side quest. And when you run out of side quests, you go and collect all the like as you're walking. There are all these little like herbs and stuff that you can gather to make potions, and it feels like there's thousands of ingredients because I never see the same plant twice. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it makes you. Like, have you picked up on the fact that the DLC for this game is free? I did notice, notice that. that. Yeah, I I'm very curious. Like how they sort of structured that content in the overall context of the business plan of the game. Yeah. Because I feel like these days, um, PC games, well, I guess PC and console games, um, people are so pissed about the idea of like on-disc DLC and and all that sort of stuff. Because it's like, you know, I, I paid for the game once. Like, I should get everything. Yeah. Like, not, you know, get the bare bones game and then get like drip-fed all this other stuff <laughs> I have to pay for, right? Right. So do you think that they actively are including this extra content as like, oh, hey, we got some spare time and these dudes at the shop made this and we thought it was cool, so let's release it? Or do you think it was like 
part of the scope of the game all along and it's like they're just drizzling it out because mm, people feel good about it. it it would be a viable strategy to do that and plus then you can you can release a certain minimum viable game and then although this game is hardly minimum uh, right some some viable game and then and then depending on whether well the thing is like if the game bombs they can stop production on the dlc it's uh, true. so it's in a, in a sense there's some some risk mitigation there too where they're like well if the game is doing really well we're going to keep releasing dlc and people will will continue to 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 play the game and then thus share the game and they they maintain engagement that way um, I don't. The timing of the DLC is interesting though, because I don't think a lot of people have, have like beaten the game to the point where they're like, "I need new content." No, it's, that was the thing. thing. Like when I, I I started playing it, like you know, I got it right when it came out, but mm-hmm. you know how it is when you like buy a new game and it's yeah. like, oh shit, I need to like really slot out like a day to play this, and right. like that just gets pushed farther and farther back. Yep. And by the time I actually opened it up and downloaded everything else, it was like, oh hey, there's a dozen different things I can download too. Yeah. Which seems overwhelming. Like, are there people that are on like the front curve of the game that are like, "Oh God, I wish they would just release one more DLC quest." Maybe because yeah. it seems crazy. <laughs> there, there are people with more free time than we have. So, yeah, no, I, I suspect that there are some people who are playing this game religiously every day. I mean, when Skyrim came out, it was like that, right? I know people who quit their jobs or, or like, took a month off and just played Skyrim every single day. Yeah. Um, how many hours would you say you've played this game? Uh. Probably, oh, that's hard. I don't know because I, I played it over the course of an entire weekend. Okay, and then some other stuff on top of that. So maybe like at least twelve hours, if not. Yeah, I think I'm about the same. I think maybe I had like maybe more two, than that. Two five-hour binges or something. Maybe three. Um, yeah. I this is the type of game I tend to play in binges. Like I can't. This isn't a game that I can play for like half an hour. Well, you can't. I mean, it's totally impossible because it's like you can't even get into a quest in a half hour. Yeah, it's just it's really hard, and and you just it really depends on you kind of keeping a mind to what's going on and what you go, need to go do next. Although they do do a good job of one thing I really liked about this game is when you load um, from a save, there's that little like thing that plays of where you are in the story. It's like yeah. a little micro cinematic. I really of, like, like that. We're doing this thing, and like I chased Jennifer to blah, 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 but now I'm looking for the butcher of Blaviken. Da, 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 da. So. Actually, I think he is the Butcher of Black. But anyway. Oh, um, spoilers. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, those those bits are, are really well done. I feel like they didn't really hold anything back because it was too complicated. Right. Um, all the books, I think those, like huge amounts I, of writing. Yeah, I totally. I, I wish more games did the kind of like chapter-based teasers. I mean, because like surely they, yeah. they figured out like what kind of markers in the story they need to have like each individual thing, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many games I have stopped playing because it's like you, know, you have your initial weekend where you play the shit out of it. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, you're always thinking like, oh, I got to get back to this. I mean, that was Dragon Age for me, basically. Yeah, yeah same. It was yeah. like I played Dragon Age like crazy for the first weekend that it came out. And then it was like, two or three weeks later before I got back into it. And it was like, I don't even remember where I was going. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't remember what I was doing, like any of this. Yep. So yep. absolutely. Yeah. You just, you kind of lose it. And then the, the feeling of when I get back into this, I'll have no idea what to do. keeps you from starting it over again. Right. No, totally. Um, um, which is a huge bummer. Cause I like actively have started games over like multiple times because of that yeah. in the past. Right. So, what do you think about the difficulty? So I, I've gotten some points where it's like the game is is like easy, 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 easy. And then there are these spikes of insane difficulty. So there's a spot early in the game where you have to fight this griffin. Oh, and yeah. I must have died like 40 times fighting the griffin. Well, dude, the only way that I beat the griffin was it kind of like bugged out and stopped. <laughs> like I, I managed to somehow get it up. Because, like, you know, when it goes into like phase two and like flies away and then you're kind of fighting it near that like, the, tower the building thing. Yeah. You have to, yeah. Yeah. 
he got stuck in between like me and the windmill. Oh, cool. And it like broke his attack animation. So he just kind of like <laughs> stood there frozen while I was just like going ham, hitting him with my sword. That's awesome. Okay. And that is how I beat him because before that it was, it was ridiculous because, um, I, I, I feel like you don't have enough money in game to buy the amount of consumables that you need there's, to. Yeah. I feel like I don't have like, enough money for anything. Like I can never afford anything when I go to the merchants. Like there's some, yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of like a balance thing there where I haven't, have you upgraded any of your equipment yet or, no. or done any of the like crafting or I don't know if that's so, going to happen much later in the game because everything seems to be really expensive or I don't have the skill to do it. Yeah. The only, the only upgrades I've gotten is just like loot from killing people in the world. Yeah. Okay. Um, which seems weird because it's strange to play a game like that and be like, oh, I don't have money for a potion. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, no, I'm like to survive. I'm, I'm eating chicken legs. Yeah. And it seems like a really inefficient way <laughs> to. Re- yeah. Rebuild it it also kind of like breaks the lore of the game when you think about it. Like you're this like badass, unstoppable witcher and you're just like <laughs> Hang on a minute. munching down on <laughs> a, a chicken a, legs like, while a, you like run away juice. and hope that your hit points like my dude. Yeah. Enough. My dude survives on apple juice, chicken legs and bread. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I've been buying the baked potato because that seems like the cheapest thing. Oh nice. Okay. I don't know what the difference is between the items really. I need to get on that um, one. But yeah, no, it is kind of frustrating how a lot of the combat seems like the way you have to do it is just, just when you get a feeling that you're about to go into a combat section, you save your game. Mm-hmm. And if you don't execute it almost flawlessly, you just reload. Yeah. Because you die. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems weird. Well, so back at the beginning of the game, it did ask for difficulty level. And there's like a, like, I'm playing the game for the story. And then there's another one, which is like, I'm playing for the story, but I like a little combat. And then there's yeah, like, I'm a normal gamer. Yeah, I think I did that one too. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it has a way of, the game doesn't hide its complexity. So no. while it does give you these really good tips in the corner of like, do this thing to do whatever. And it also, I don't know, you're playing on the PC or console? Uh, I'm playing on the PC with a controller. So. Okay. So, so that's, that's actually a lot easier. Okay. I should try that. But like in the corner for me at the bottom, right, it, it gives you like what the keys are all the time. So you can see like, okay, if I want to, you know, dodge, I can hold down alt or whatever. Um, really? but when I, when I first, uh, got into the game, like there's just so much info that they give you, like the beginning thing where it teaches you how to, to fight. And then later on, like every screen you go to, there's like a, a multi-page tutorial of like, okay, this is alchemy. You do this thing, put yeah, this yeah. thing here, you move this thing here and then you boil the thing and then you do this thing and then you call your mom and then you put this thing on. And it's like, there's, there's so many, so many steps to it. And I, I always get this anxiety when I see tutorials like that, because I'm like, I don't know how to bring this information back once I hit. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and I don't know like where I'm going to find that info again. And am I going to miss some big thing and I'm never going to be able to figure out how to play? Yeah. Uh, no, for like me, Gwent. it's like, uh, feeling like I am going to have a suboptimal performance on my playthrough because yeah. I miss some like weird thing. Right. There's like, a, um, yeah, there's a, there's a certain feeling I think a lot of these games evoke is like, and I, I get this all the time when I play fallout as well. Like any game where, you know, you're running around a world doing things and collecting, collecting stuff that you want to have like the perfect playthrough. Yes. You want to always like if you're in a conversation, you want to like save before the conversation, try all the dialogue options, pick the best one and then like continue. You know, like do you do that where it's like everything I'm, you have yeah, to I don't I don't go with it that crazy, but I am a very like broken gamer in regards to like uh the all the all the fervor around Fallout 4 made me be like, "Oh, I want to play Fallout New Vegas." So yeah. I'm going to do that. And then yeah. I loaded it up and I was like, "Well, I always play like the same kind of character, which is, you know, like high right. agility, high luck, high intelligence, high charisma and like, you know, not not strong at all." So um I was like, "I'm going to do the exact opposite. Like no charisma, no intelligence, <laughs> like pure brute strength, Total like, bruiser. like a melee guy." Okay. And it like was bothering me so much when I would get to um 
dialogue options where it's like, you know, if you have the speech skill, of yeah, like it's grayed out. Whatever, yeah, like you, you exactly. could get through and it was, it was grayed out. And it's, I was like, I can't even so do this. That's so painful. Because you know, like, there's I this can't. like content that you're missing. Like he's going to open some like secret closet that's going to have some cool like weapon that you wouldn't see any other way. Yeah. I, and who knows, like there could be content that I get because I'm so stupid, but I have no idea. And like, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's so like I this, just, yeah. I went back and created the same character that I always do. Which <laughs> like, I just, I have this desire in these games to see everything. Uh, or at least see the like best version of things where it's like, I want to get the like dialogue option that makes the guy like me and give me his daughter. You know, like, it's just, yeah. Um, well, Fallout's perfect for that. Yeah. So, so yeah. How do you feel about the horse system in uh, Witcher? It's really funny where you can just like whistle the horse and it comes at you like no matter where you are. Doesn't that seem kind of weird? Like if you, you stand, can also I think just you like can gallop like through stand, anything. Yeah, you can like stand in the middle of a river and like call the horse. Um, it, it leads to some really funny situations where like if you're like next to like a certain angle of mountainside or, or near a castle or something, you call the horse at the wrong time. It'll just like the horse will make the most like valiant, selfless effort to get to you. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some YouTube videos of just like horse disasters in this game. I was um, oddly disappointed that there wasn't anything that you had to do to get your horse. Yeah, the horse because, is like, free. Because in, in these kind of RPGs, yeah. uh, or I guess like RPGs in general, it's like your uh, the curve of the game typically starts out with like, oh, you have nothing, like you're on foot. And yeah. then like when you get your first thing that allows you to travel faster. Yeah. Like like when you play World of Warcraft and you, I guess what you yeah, had to be like level 40 or something like yeah. that to get your first mount. Uh-huh. And that was like, even though you didn't even move that much faster, it was like, oh my God, this, this, this is, is so an amazing achievement. Yeah. This is so much better. Right. And even before that, like Legend of Zelda had the Epona and stuff. Like it was just, yeah, yeah it, it makes a huge, it's a big milestone that they, they kind of jumped over. Which yeah, it seems so strange. Where it was like, oh, I, I just like push this button and my horse comes. Like, okay, like uh, all right. What do you think about that like road holding mechanic that it has, where you can just like double tap shift and the, the, whole, I, the horse will just stay on the roads. I like it. I like it because it's like it's. I mean, a lot of the time in, in games like this, travel is kind of a time sink in a way, right? You know, so you're just waiting to get to your next spot, and it's like I can just on the controller. I think you just hold A to to stay on the same path but mm-hmm. it's like i can check out twitter and like do other shit that is way more interesting than steering my horse around this yeah. curvy path yeah exactly and some of the distances are pretty long but it's they've done a pretty good job of keeping the world at least the parts of it that i've seen really well populated there's yeah. just a lot of stuff going on there's never like empty dusty road for 10 minutes right and it seems they, they seem to have done a outstanding job above and beyond what skyrim did of like having idle chatter that feels different enough yeah and maybe I just haven't played the game enough to like kind of hear the same thing over and over. But I, totally. I swear to God, like the Skyrim guards had like six things that they said. Yeah, yeah, no, they have. Which I is how they heard. all turned into memes and stuff on Reddit. Exactly, you know? exactly. And it does a good job of having tongue-in-cheek like references to Skyrim. Have you noticed? Like, yeah, there's some archer who's like, I all no, it's one of the Gwent cards. He's like, I always shoot for the knee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, I'm really impressed, like, by how much effort has gone into this, and I really, I'm really curious, like how many people worked on it and what the budget of it was. And if since it was made in Poland, they were able to get away with having a, a bigger game for cheaper or something like that. Yeah, that's like what that. I was going to say. Like having been built outside of the US, I think has really influenced their values. Like just building this game, a lot of it was like, I don't think it was driven by decisions that, yeah, this game is going to make more money if we do X. It was like, yes. this game needs to have this because it's cool. It and definitely has that vibe about it, which which kind of really makes me wonder how I'm going to feel about Fallout 4. Right. Because like the Fallout That's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the total opposite of like, this is like the cool single player experience, kind of like here's the path that you go on and and things like that, where it really feels like The Witcher, like if you just want to totally fuck off entirely and not even do the the story, like 
you would probably be able to play the game for dozens of hours and have tons of fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And none of the Fallout games are really like that. I mean, yeah, you can do side quests and dick around and and stuff like that, but it's very much like how do you go through the main storyline? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's more Which, it's more linear in that way, ironically. Um, so, so what do you think? Would you recommend this game? Um, I would recommend it with some caveats, and that that caveat would be, I feel like you this is a game that you need to play on a high end computer, right? I definitely would not play it on consoles. No. Um, just because, like, man, I tried to play Skyrim on my Xbox 360, and the experience was miserable compared to, like, a PC with an SSD and stuff like right. that. Right, it really diminishes it, yeah. I mean, it, even just I, people like to, you know, make light of, like, the 60 versus 30 frames per second stuff, but, like, it is such a difference when you're yeah. when you're looking at something for hours and hours yep. and hours. Yep. Just the animations um, are more fluid. Everything is, is better about it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say if you have a PC capable of running it and you have the time to enjoy it and I, I feel like that is a luxury that is kind of underappreciated in modern gaming is like how nice it is to be able to have a weekend where you do nothing but play one game yep yep, yep. like particularly in mobile where it's like i mean my job is particularly terrible for that where it's like all right i have i mean like today we're recording on a wednesday and there's probably gonna be 20 games that i'm gonna need to play in the next two days to yeah, like yeah. stay up you on don't top get of that depth in any one of so them. right so yeah but i mean overall i would say like yeah strong recommendation just to see what is capable in a modern fantasy RPG and just how deep things go now compared yeah. to how they used to be, right. I guess. Yeah, I would agree. I, I like this game just from the simple, like from a developer perspective, I find myself in awe of many aspects of this game where I'm just like, I don't even know how they built this thing. Like if my team was going to build any one aspect of this game, it would take us a really, really long time. And yeah. they built this like insanely huge product with a, just like a world of like, I mean, just even the, the simple puzzle of how do you, represent the data in any of the forests in this game like yeah. there's so many freaking trees where is all this stored for an entire world i would love to see like some kind of behind the scenes thing of just like the tools that they use to make this make this game because i just find it to be impossible to believe that so much of that was like modeled by hand right yeah yeah yet a lot of it feels that way and you look at yeah. like, the materials and the way things are painted like it's just just from an art budget perspective it blows my mind no, it totally. I mean, because like you go into buildings, and in a lot of RPGs, and, and Skyrim was pretty guilty of this, where it was like, oh, this is building number three. Yeah, you uh, could totally you know, tell like, it was built with some construction set, and they dropped it down, and it looks like all the others. Yeah, where, whereas this, like, you go into taverns, and each of them feel oddly, distinctly different, which yeah. is it's really it kind of contributes wild. so much to the life of the, of the world. And the same thing goes for, like you said, the NPC characters. There's there's like conversations between them and you only see it in that one town. Like as a creator, it would it would pain me to think of how much of the content of this game goes unseen. Right. Like how much stuff do they build? Like where every player sees maybe thirty percent of it on a typical playthrough. I, I would say probably been less, yeah, less than that. I mean, because like I'm playing through it, turning down side quests left and right. Yeah. What is that like for an artist that's like building art and knowing that like 80%, 90% of the art that they create will never be seen by anyone? <laughs> yeah. Or like the voice actor that voices the quests that no one does yeah. because they're just weird side quests. Yeah. Like so that. so I, I love that sense of just like awe to the grandeur of this game. Um, they've done an amazing job with the graphics overall, like sunsets and running through forests and the water effects and everything, like every aspect of the spells, everything looks really, really good. Uh, even yeah. what I find myself amazed by is the detail in the clothing of the characters. Yes. So when they do the and cut that's scenes, another reason why you need to play it on PC, because yeah. I feel like on a console that would be, you'd totally lose all lost. that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm playing this, I just built a PC, so it's pretty high end. It's got a, a Titan X, um, and I'm playing it at 4k, um, with a, with just the latest i7, um, 
CPU. And so it, I can run everything pretty well. I get about 30 hertz at, um, at 4K. So I, I sometimes come down to 1080. Um, but yeah, like at every level, like you just like, I want to go close to things and just examine them. Everything in the yeah. game is just like, there's so many details to be seen. Um, but yeah, I would say if you've only got even one weekend to, to sort of binge on this, um, it's, uh, it's still worth it. You can get pretty far into the main story and get a flavor for, for the experience. I don't think it, it's one of those games where, you know, you get a lot of the value in the mid game, late game. No, probably not. Like, I, I mean, I feel like you get a lot of the, the sense of awe very early. Yeah, and that, that's the main value for me in a game like this is being like, wow, this world is huge. Yep. And and by and large, very frustration free uh, for yeah. these types of open world games. Like you, there's a lot of shit that can happen. Like you get stuck or, you know, the game crashes or it gets really slow or, you know, all kinds of weird issues can happen with like kind of this unpredictable sort of world. But yeah, this game was it, it's been really, uh, really friendly so far. Really happy with it. Yeah. So I guess that's a strong recommendation for both of us. So you should go out and buy a gaming PC in Witcher 3. <laughs> yes. It's only going to cost you like $3,000. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go 4K. You don't have like to you, go 4K. You can you can play like a peasant at you know, 1080p. Just 1080p. It's good enough. Just be fine. <laughs> good so, stuff. Yeah. I should get a controller. Though. That's a good tip. You should just go out and buy an Xbox One controller and the PC dongle. You could probably even order it off Amazon just to have it tomorrow. Awesome. I mean, like that's it's way better to play okay. anything with a controller. Yeah, I, like I can tell this game was designed for that sort of input. So Yeah. Cool. So. Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been another episode of our uh, Mega Ultracast. Was it Ultra Megacast? No, it's Mega Ultracast. I have, I've been getting mixed up all the time. Yeah. Because like, when you told me it was on iTunes, I looked at it. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> we don't even know the name of our own podcast. <laughs> thanks for joining us. We will see you again next time. Yeah, thanks, guys.